So, first question, uh, when you walked in the doors this morning, did you think of yourself as a miracle worker? Let me go, no, not really. I mean, I've used that phrase before. What do you think I am, a miracle worker? Some of you are like, get Ron back on the stage because this sounds like a sermon of heresy. I mean, this is going nowhere good. (laughs) That would be Jesus. That would be the disciples. That would be, uh, you know, what about us? You see... uh, if you've said yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, which those two girls that experienced baptize, baptism did, then you're a little Christ. That's Christian. And we're followers of his, and we're called to bear his image to this world. So isn't miracle worker a part of the job description? So I, I don't know. I feel a little uncomfortable with that. Well, um, let's take it a little bit further. You see, if the Spirit of God lives in us, then what that means is... That the power of God is capable of running through our lives and impacting this world. And so as we kind of begin to think through whether or not we see ourselves in that light, oh wow, that starts to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable because sometimes we look at our lives and go, I don't know that my life is aligned with the life of a miracle worker. The disciples had been sent on a mission As we jump into this passage of Scripture in our miracles series, we see that these disciples were healing the sick and dealing with demons and teaching about the kingdom. And when they returned from their mini mission trip, we find this encounter between the miracle workers and their master. And it's in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Does that, that, that happened to you this week? Maybe you're like, you're, you're, your life is so hectic, you're like, I didn't even eat today. I think that's how half the meals at Chick-fil-A happened. Oh, I didn't eat. I didn't drive in real quick. So they went away to the boat in the boat by themselves to a remote place. Did you catch this? Jesus recognized their need for a break. He saw the needs were piling up all around them. And they were exhausted, and they needed to get away. So so I've been away for a little while. I was actually in uh, Siberia. I heard it was really great for spring break. And so so I spent 11 days in Siberia. Got back just in time to see uh, the Final Four. How cool is that, right? Championship coming up. I know, right? Championship game, Baylor Lady Bears. Woohoo! Was there another Final Four? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> it's just not a pep rally. <laughs> For Jesus. So, so I'm in Siberia 11 days, right? It's 20 hours on a plane to get there and back, okay? And so we're there, and we're, we're, we're doing this, this, this conference, and it's a retreat first for three days with all of these national leaders that are there that are part of the ministry of Reach Out Youth Solutions that I'm a part of, and they're the ones that are training other youth leaders all over Russia, okay, in youth ministry. And so we're there with them for three days, and it's an amazing experience. We recorded a bunch of impact stories where they were talking about how Jesus Christ is showing up radically through prayer and evangelism and discipleship as teams are being built and churches are expanding all for the glory of God in the teenage movement of Jesus Christ in these kids in Russia. It was a powerful time with these 25 leaders. We recorded all these stories, got them all edited. We had a video producer there on site with us. 
Larry Kelly, my friend, he attends church here. He came with me. He worked with all of our leaders on finding their strengths. We were using the Strength Finder in Russia, and it was a, it was a totally embraced that. I mean, it was so cool. Then we went straight from that into a three-day conference where we had invited some youth leaders from all over Russia to come be a part of this conference, right? So we do the retreat first, then the conference. We found the largest church that we could find inside of Novosibirsk, which is the capital of Siberia, which is in the middle of nowhere. And they could house about 325 people in the auditorium. Larry and I are in there counting. One, two, three, four. Okay, we got three. Well, who we've invited, we think we can house this. This will be good. 500 youth leaders show up. Right? So we've got 100 youth leaders. They've, they've, they've driven there for two days or more. They've been on trains for multiple days to get there, all for this three-day moment where they're there worshiping God, hearing, teaching, and training. They're, they're, they're encouraged. They're inspired. And we did some seminars along the way, too. And so we did these seminars where we actually had our Russian leaders there in the country, our indigenous leaders, training in Russian. And we're videoing that because we're going to put it on this online training platform so that they can get it out to even more churches so that they can be more equipped to reach the younger generation for Christ in Russia. And it was just phenomenal. So by the time the week was over, we had 12 impact stories recorded and edited. We had all of this training in 16 segments, five minutes apiece by all of these Russian leaders, uh, videoed and edited. We had met with two bishops who described to us that they had already sent the word out to 3,500 churches in Russia that they wanted all of them to be trained in youth ministry. And we finished it all and went, oh, we're tired. And our Russian leaders saw that, and they looked at us and said, it's time to get away. So we went to a remote village. True story. And we get there, and they told us, all you really need is just to bring your swimsuit. We're like, well, it is Siberia. (laughs) And so we show up, and they tell us to get in our swimsuits, and then they walk us out back, and there is this uh, sauna. They've, 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 They've now exposed us to what is called the Russian banya. Now, if you don't know what Russian banya is, I'm going to describe it to you. We're going to go really fast here. We go into this sauna that's kind of hot sauna, dry sauna, but the hottest experience I've ever had on this planet. I'm sitting there. Sweat is pouring down. They made us wear these little hats to absorb the sweat because the sweat would, like, burn your nose. Right? It's 180, 190 degrees Fahrenheit in there. All right? I mean, I'm looking at guys. I mean, the Russian guys are just, like, soaking it in, you know. I mean, they're just like, oh, this is so good. I'm like, they're killing me. Right now, I'm dying, right? So we sit there for a while, a long while, longer than I think I should have been sitting. And they said, okay, we're t- time for the next thing. And I'm like, well, the next thing must be out of here. So I'm like, okay, let's do this next thing. And so they lay me out, true story, on this bench. And I'm laying there in my swimsuit, on my stomach. And then they grab these birch branches, dip them in scalding water, and start hitting me with them. Just kind of little, uh, lightly flogging at first. <laughs> Back, legs, bottom of the feet. Stop for a minute. How is that? Oh. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. Anyway, round two, a little bit harder. Round three, I think they brought a sumo wrestler in. Whack, 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 whack. Just, just to get recovery, rest, you know. So anyway, they, they walk me out, and they're like, okay, now this, the, the, the next part of this is to cool down. And I'm like, okay, I can do that, you know. So they had these big tubs, true story, of snow. And it's like, now just rub it all over your body. So I'm like rubbing the snow all over my body thinking, oh, this is so relaxing. 
I'm, I'm changing clothes. I'm changing clothes. I'm drying off. And there's a little mirror there where we're, and I look at myself and I've got little specks of leaves all over me. And I like, I, I go, I am Groot. And, 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 um, no, the, nobody laughed. It was in English and they, uh, but I got away. For a break, Russian style. And you may have walked in this morning thinking, I needed a break. I need a break. Right? It's been crazy. I haven't even had time to eat. Holly and I were talking about this this week, about how crazy the spring has been. I mean, just, just for our family, we're thinking about, you know, dad's got this thing, and he's on these international trips, and it's kind of more than normal this spring, and then we had the family mission trip to Kentucky, and the kids in sports, and school, and, you know, then you got, you know, Shaley graduating, and Holly leading this, uh, this co-op directing, and all the final events of the end of the year stuff that's getting ready for that, and there's taxes, and family coming for Easter, and Feed the Hunger, which, by the way, we packed 150,000 meals. How cool is that? Yeah, and, 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 and they gave us a report. You know, I love to hear the report about where the meals went, right? So when you, many of you were a part of the fall pack, right? Because we pack close to like half a million meals every year. And so the fall pack, many of those meals went to Bangladesh. You're like, well, what were they doing in Bangladesh? Oh, they were just going into the Rohingya Muslim refugee camps with the gospel and the food all rolled into one. How cool is that? And so, yeah, I mean, just cool stuff, right? And so all this stuff, it's all crazy. It's like, uh, and then I'm trying to work on this Belize family mission trip and the curriculum for that and trying to wrap my mind around that that's happening in June. And all, it's all good stuff. I mean, except for like the taxes, but most of it's really good. And there's lots of opportunities sprinkled in all around it for moments of service and, and serving others, serving our own family, serving in this church, serving around the world, serving in our community. It's not too difficult, though, to just get overwhelmed. I bet you've been there. Maybe you're there now. The disciples were there in that moment, hanging out on the shoreline, prepping for the next fishing adventure seems miles away in their life. A lifetime away. Now they've been empowered by God to perform miracles and teach the good news. Mostly good stuff, except for the fact, and I didn't share this with you at the beginning of the passage, but if you go back just a tiny bit there, you know what the disciples had just done? They had just buried the headless body of John the Baptist. And in the midst of following Jesus, there's pain too. It's a stark reminder that not everyone would be as receptive to the gospel as those that the disciples had met in those nearby villages. And in this snapshot, even though the piles of needs kept rising higher and higher, Jesus reminds all miracle workers of two key elements that we have to have in our lives. The disciples, you, me, one, rest. It's time to get away. Say, I don't have time to get away. You don't have time not to get away. You say, I I know that. Yes, we know that in theory, but do we know that in practice? 
That he invites us to get away every day with him to pray, to be still and know that he is God, to sing and journal and read and whatever, but just to get away and be reminded that he is God and we are not. Because if he wants to do his miracle working power through you, we've got to be at that place where we recognize who he is and who we are. That everything I've loaded my agenda with may not be quite on his agenda for me. Am I asking him that question? To ask myself, what really matters? I shared with you a couple of weeks ago in Kentucky, we were challenged by one missionary who just asked us the question, has the work of the Lord gotten in the way of the Lord of the work in your life? And for some of us who are like worker bees in the church, we have to ask ourselves the question every day. When was the last time that you listened to his voice, that you just got away, that you just got rest and heard what he was speaking to you? And maybe that's the main thing you needed from this morning is just a reminder to find a space and a place to have a little talk with Jesus. The key element number two there in the story, in this story, is that compassion has to be in the quotient. But you see, we don't live compassionate lives if we're not spending time with the master. Because we don't see the world the way that he sees it. Verse 33, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. The people ran there by land from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. So they got away, but unfortunately, maybe not long enough. The crowd had been increasing. Jesus' reputation was growing. The cities at that time had grown, probably Capernaum, probably Bethsaida to around 3,000 people. But rough estimates are that between 15 and 20,000 people are now following after Jesus. That's a large crowd. And as that crowd is following after Jesus, they realize what Jesus and the disciples have done. And they decide to try to head him off at the pass. So they go around the lake and they're there waiting on them. When they, and I'm sure the disciples are like, come on. And some have suggested that Jesus recognized this moment and that's why he actually kept the disciples in the boat because he let them rest a little bit longer while he went out and displayed for them what they were to be, which was compassionate. And he begins to teach them. And as he teaches them, he's exemplifying for us not only the importance for rest, but also through that rest we're able to have compassion for others. Maybe our prayer this morning should just be, Jesus, give me your eyes and ears so that I can see people the way that you see them. I want your compassion to drive me, not my cynicism and selfishness. And God uses our brokenness to do that, right? He does. Because I believe he just wants to remind us, listen, it, it's one bad decision. You are one bad decision away from being in the spot of that person that you have ignored, that you don't want to look at. Brokenness that leads to what? That leads to thankfulness. God, thank you for rescuing me. And out of that thankfulness, selflessness. To say, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. And in that moment, what does God do? Infuse us with his power so that we can be miracle workers for him. 
Mark 6, 35. When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the country, surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus says, No, uh, you give them something to eat. Should we go and buy like 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat, they ask. He said, how many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Of course, we know from another gospel, that's, that's a kid's lunch that he's brought, right? I think in these disciples' attitude, what we discover is they needed a little bit longer break. They had some issues they were trying to work through, Right? I mean, they were making excuses. They were trying to send the crowd away. It's like they were trying to deal with the situation in ways that I know we never do. Ignore it. Make excuses. Don't invite Jesus into the solution. Miracle workers extinguish excuses and pride. Miracle workers extinguish excuses and pride. And Jesus deals with both of these issues in this passage. Because you see, here's the problem. The people are hungry and they're in an isolated area. There's not even a McDonald's. I had McDonald's in Siberia. I did. I I had a McFlurry. It was awesome. The disciples answer, send them home. Jesus' response, you feed them. Here's the problem. You know why the disciples got sarcastic with Jesus? Because they knew in order to feed that crowd, it was going to take 200 denarii. And 200 denarii is roughly eight months' salary for one person. The disciples didn't have that money. So they're getting all snippety with Jesus. But the saddest part of all isn't that they got snippety. It's the fact that they didn't invite him into the solution. I mean, he's right there. He's the son of God. They've been doing miraculous things with his power flowing through them all the way up to this point. And I don't know if maybe this situation didn't have the miracle-worthy seal of approval on it for them or what. But for whatever reason, they chose to go independent rather than dependent on Jesus. We don't ever try to solve things in our own strength that way. Jesus, we need you in this moment for this solution because we can't do it on our own. We need to say that all the time. All we have to do is scroll through our phone at the people that are on our contact list. And I bet you can scroll through a relationship that the answer is Jesus. Reading on. Verse 39, then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And then he took the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was filled. And they picked up baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And now those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So this, this miracle, yeah, we're in the series, miracles. You know what this miracle tells us? It's a simple equation. Blank plus Jesus is enough. It's more than enough. You see, the five loaves and the two fish plus Jesus was more than enough. Twelve baskets full. 
And you may say, I'm not, I don't see myself as a miracle worker. You don't know what my life looks like. And I would say, if Jesus lives in you, then whether or not you feel like a failed spouse or not, add that to Jesus and it's more than enough. And if you feel like you have failed your children or your grandchildren, then can I just tell you that that sense of failure plus Jesus is more than enough. Because he wants to meet you in that place. Uncertain future, haunted by your past. You fill in the gap. Whatever you place there, you add Jesus. It's more than enough. Mark 6 45, immediately after this miracle, he made his disciples get back into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. It's defined a little bit more in John chapter 6. 14 and 15, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who has come into the world. Okay, check this out. You ready? This is so good. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself now. But you see, the purpose of this miracle was not so that people could get full. As a matter of fact, if you think and walk through this miracle for just a minute, oh, now I'm getting beside, okay, this is, here. what if Jesus had said, okay, do it your way? You know what would have happened? People would have left, and nobody would have seen God show up. And how often do we choose to do things on our own, have our solution? We wonder why our life is boring and the problem isn't solved, all because we didn't do it Jesus' way so that he could show up miraculously. But you see, they trusted him. And God allowed them to be a part of the miracle working experience. Jesus knew that they were about to come, verse 15, and take him by force to make him king. And he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I think this is an interesting piece of the story because Jesus does what is required of us, and that is to pull back at times and not allow pride to drive us. Because you see, it's not just the excuses that are dangerous, it's also the pride. And the pride happens on both ends. The pride in the story we saw with the disciples where they tried to, to solve it on their own instead of including him. But pride also has the potential of seeping into the backside too. Because see, the end of the story it would be so easy for us to go, well, I'm so glad that God, you, God needed me. God needed me to make that happen. No, if God wanted to feed those people, he could have just dropped a bunch of fish and bread from the sky. But you know what? What he chose to do was use vessels in the moment to accomplish his purpose, to build their faith, and to show him off. And we get invited into that mission every single day. Matter of fact, there are tables scattered all throughout the lobby that show you opportunities to do that. And whether or not it's here in this church, or whether or not it's hopping on a mission trip to the Philippines to share the gospel door to door, or hanging out with small children in Kenya this summer in a slum, or whether it's hanging out at your neighborhood and inviting somebody to Easter in two weeks, or whether it's having a discipleship moment with your own child, or what you fill in the gaps. But I'm just telling you that God invites us to be miracle workers in the lives of others. 
And Jesus exemplifies the importance of getting away in the same way that he completely won victory over Satan in the desert. Where time after time, the attack on his pride and Jesus came back with scripture. Because Jesus knew the answer wasn't some feel-good ride around Jerusalem as the souped-up Moses figure of the New Testament. You see, there was a bigger goal at hand. So they had some rest. And in that rest, Jesus is teaching them to live lives of compassion. And as we do that, we're able to actually live in a way that we sacrifice our own pride and cast away the excuses that are so tempting for us. We come to the end of the story. Mark 6, after he had said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. And when evening came and the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land, he saw them being battered as they rowed because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and they were terrified and immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. And said their hearts were hardened. The crowd had dispersed. There was calm. They were kicking back. They were watching the moonlight hit the waves. And then the storm happens. And Jesus sees them possibly some miraculously kind of way. He's up on the mountain. He's superman vision down, sees the disciples, comes down the mountain, does what any one of us would do, walks on the water across to them. They think he's a ghost. Actually, in the Greek, it implies it's just like they think it's a fantasy. It's not real. He challenges them to be courageous. He climbs in the boat. The wind stops. John 6 says they immediately find themselves Star Trek style on the other side of the ocean of the lake. And Mark says they're still trying to figure this feeding thing out, this 5,000 feeding trick that Jesus did. And Matthew chapter 14, 33 says this, Then those in the boat did what? They worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Say, what's the end result for miracle workers? Is it all about us? Is it about the name of a church getting bigger and greater in a community? Is it about me fulfilling my lifelong goal to just help people? No, miracle workers exist to glorify God by the power of God. And in this moment, the story funnels down to this set of men who say, Ah, (laughs) you are the Son of God. You are. For our family members to say, he is the son of God. For our children with our lives to say, he is the son of God. For our neighbor who doesn't know Jesus to say, he is the son of God. For men in Togo, Africa to proclaim, he is the son of God. I've got some friends that I want to welcome up to the stage. Have you ever heard of an organization? You may have heard about them. They're not real well known around here. Uh, Men of Nehemiah. All right, what up, guys? We've got uh, Patrick here, and Patrick, uh, Patrick is uh, from Togo. Found himself on the streets of Dallas. Ended up in addiction. Ended up being a part of Men of Nehemiah. And um, then we've got Michael and Joe, who are also a part of the story, and they're going to share their story, their journey in just a second. But Patrick, I want you to tell them about God's miracle working power in your life 
Thank you. And my name is Patrick, and uh, I'm from Togo, Africa. Uh, from 15 to age of 45, I was a slave of alcohol. Alcohol was my, my best friend, my loved one, everything for me. And uh, I was so weak, I don't know what to do. And one thing I know is I got to find God for myself. I got to know his power. So I call upon Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I cannot do this alone. So I went to the man of Nehemiah. And uh, my brother and sister, it's 10 years now. I'm clean. For 10 years, I cannot believe it myself can happen to me. So when I saw this, I think, and God talked to me, say, you need to take this forward. So I took it to Togo, Africa, my hometown. And I can tell you, I was here for 15 years before I go to my country. And they knew me there, and they hear what's happened to me. And they knew, and the people even say, I'll never come back. But when they saw me, it was a miracle. I was a ghost when they saw me. And they say, what happened? How do you change? Then I say, the scriptures, the Bible, is my medication, and Jesus is my doctor. Then they want to see that Jesus. They want to know his power. They want to know more about him. More about him. More about him. And by his grace, we installed the second man on Nehemiah over there. And from 2015 to last year, we graduated 18 people from the program. Two passed away. One is struggling, but the rest of them, they got to their family. They are doing very well. They work in the government. They have the farming, everything they need. They go back to the society. Include my own son. My own son was alcoholic. Now he's free and he's leading the guys over there. <laughs> Today we have the Bible college. And we have like a 49 pastor, seven ordained, and we plant five churches over there to take the good news to over there. And I don't know how much I can thank God for that miracle in my life. I will never, never, never think I can be sober for one day, for just one day. I'll never think that. By his grace and love, I'm sober. Thank you, Pastor. Miracle Working Power, very first graduate of Men of Nehemiah, right here. 
God plants on his heart to go back home and plant a men of Nehemiah organization in Togo. Invites these guys, God does, Patrick does, to join him on the journey. So we've got Joe and Michael here who went to Togo last year. We've got some incriminating photos up here to prove it. Um, but they uh, experienced Togo along with Patrick. And now our church has adopted this as another ministry mission point. We're giving to men of Nehemiah in Togo, watching lives transform. And these guys are able to say, I've been there. I've been watching it. Tell, tell us what you saw. I want to share with you uh, three stories, uh, if you don't mind. Um, the first is um, one of the men that was going through the program. He was telling me about how um, he was trying to kill himself by drinking himself to death. And by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, he decided, I don't want that. I want to live for Christ. I want to live and I want to share the gospel. Uh, another man, um, he was Rastafarian. And I don't know if you know much about the Rasta religion, uh, but they use a lot of marijuana. They have uh, long locks that they're very proud of, and that's very important to them. And this man decided he was going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, so he shaves the locks off of his head as dedication to Jesus Christ. And the third one I want to share with you is about a, uh, a woman who we went to this uh, village, Copagon. And uh, she was deep entrenched in um, her, her uh, native religion of voodoo. And she paid a lot of money to have this voodoo sculpture made. And she thought that this voodoo sculpture had the power of life and death over her. So she worshipped it. And when the message of Jesus Christ came to her, she, uh, she surrendered that, that statue. And she had it destroyed because she knew that it wasn't that sculpture that had power of life and death over her. It was Jesus Christ. And he was the one who, who kept her alive to that point. All of this came because there was a, uh, a man who was, had his life transformed from New Orleans came and found another man wasting away underneath 45, grabbed him, and showed him that power uh, of transformation in his life. And from there, he took that back to his native Africa. And life after life after life is being transformed. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And I'm the biggest miracle of all. Then they found me. Um, you know, I was always a believer, but now I'm faithful. Um, God's changed my life through service. Going to Africa uh, was never on my bucket list. In fact, it didn't make my top 1,000. Um, but I... I get to see God move at the men of Nehemiah weekly through the transformation of the men. And that's been such a blessing. And getting to know Pastor Vigbador, who, by the way, went through seminary at Crystal College. And he is an ordained pastor. Um, but seeing what God's doing in, in Togo um, is difficult to describe. Um, people so poor... Uh, with a 500 to 1 exchange rate of the franc to U.S. dollars, the average person making $1 to $2 a day, they basically get up every day just to survive. 
Um, and $2, by the way, buys two bottles of water. Um, Patrick was without water for three months before he came back to the States in January. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult over there, but to see the hope, the hope of the people, and, and to see them witness Patrick because they knew him in his past, and, and, and they saw what God did in his life, then they started wanting to know how they could get some of that. And who of us haven't been there to see someone else that we know and say, man, how do I get that? That was me for 55 years. In Togo, everything's life-changing. Everything through this ministry, and the ministry's called Lay Up Treasures in Heaven. Um, the King Togbui is donating 617 acres of land to us. When we go back in about a month, we're going to sign a deed from the uh, Presbyterian Church of Togo for that land. We're, we have long-range plans of building a compound, farming, ranching. Uh, we'll have a, a conference center. We'll have five trade schools uh, to teach the people trades so that they can make some money. Uh, we'll have a restaurant from the from the kitchen. Um, so God has big plans in Togo that can change the economy of not only the Palime region and Tove region, but, but all across Togo. Uh, and I'm so thankful that, that God finally got my attention and I said yes. Thank you guys. Joe, Joe, oh, I don't need this anymore. I got this. Um, Joe was uh, one of my uh, son's small group leaders for Wednesday nights for a couple of years. And uh, Joe, um, when you were his small group leader a couple of years ago, on the, in the back of your mind, you weren't thinking, I'm headed to Togo, were you? No. <laughs> but as I talked with Joe, what I discovered is he got quiet and he listened to what God was saying. And I don't know what God is saying to you, but I do know this, that in Isaiah 61, a prophecy shows up that says someone's going to proclaim the news, bring freedom from the cap- to the captives, bring healing, is going to be the rescuer. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus shows up and says, that's me. And in Mark 6, he says, now disciples, you go and do this. We were just reading about how they did that. And then in John 14, he looks at all the disciples and he says, you know what? You're doing this stuff, but you know what? It's even going to explode beyond you. Even greater things. So what I read from that is that we've been grafted into this mission of being miracle workers. See, we're in the line. And now what God's inviting us to do is just to be still and to listen and to take that next step. I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. And maybe just ask yourself the question. This question was not on your mind before you came here. But are you ready to live the life of a miracle worker this week? Are you willing for God to meet you in the stillness of his relationship with you? In the silence of that moment? 
And open your eyes and your ears to see the world. That person in need of the miracle of hope, and he wants to use your actions to display his hope. That miracle of reconciliation that's in a relationship near you, that's the place where he's wanting that broken relationship to be restored miraculously. Maybe a miracle of freedom. Somebody, somewhere in your week, because God gives you the opportunity to be slow to speak and to hear the bondage, but also willing to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is sharper than any two-edged sword and able to bring light into dark places, even in the dark places of a mind trapped in sin. Maybe the miracle of salvation. That will arrive not because you are saving anyone, but because you courageously step into a conversation and you allow their story to intersect with your story, to intersect with God's story. What does he say in this morning? Father, we invite you into this moment. We're listening. We know you've called us to be still, to have compassion, to reject the excuses, to reject the pride, and to realize it's all for your glory, that it really is all about you. So God, as we collect offering, because that's a part of our worship, as we just give back to you, as we collect prayer cards with Notes on it that are just being sent in your direction because we know that you are the miracle maker and we invite you into these challenging moments in our lives. God, whatever that is, whatever you're placing on our heart right now, God, in this moment, we're ready, we're listening, we're following you, we're still all for your glory.